Hi, I'm Brandon Paul Eels, and this is Reading Out Loud. Hey, everybody. We are joined today on Skype by our producer and author of this episode, Mr. Ryan P. Duke. How are you, sir? Oh, man, I'm good. Excellent. So glad you could be here with us. Uh, outside of the Reading Out Loud studio. We are not yeah. in the studio now. We are here in the uh, I Am In The Reading Out Loud jet. I'm actually huddled under an umbrella. <laughs> the Reading Out Loud umbrella. With our nice, very uh, expensive pea, logo. Piece of green, yes. right? That our oh, color? Oh, it's good. And it looks great on that high quality vinyl umbrella. Right. And I'm glad don't, it's vinyl. Don't get that wet, by the way. I have no jokes for vinyl. <laughs> so, Brandon, you know, people yes. have been noticing this is a bit of a departure. The style that we're taking and recording these is a bit of a departure from our typical fair where we have a rather large cast. You've been actually it doing is. every single part. So what, you know, I yep. know you. I know the man behind the voice. Yes. And I know yes. that you are a uh, 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 persnickety man yeah. who makes his choices. Uh in a very thoughtful way. So, I, I, you know, how, why did you make the choice to do every single voice um, for our serial uh, yourself? It's certainly easier. I don't have to, you know, schedule people and have them come into the studio. But aside from that, I, I really did make the choice thematically to do it this way because I wanted, um, since Kingston, our main character, is uh, this kind of omnipotent god maybe guy uh but regardless he is the center of his universe so i wanted all of these people that he connects with to stem from him and be a part of him that they they essentially are him he is the ultimate narcissist because he has made it here he has made this universe it's his universe everything else circles around him yes Oh, you know, of course, you know, that each voice is coming from him and is part of him. I kind of dig that. I dig okay. that. Well, good, because um, I can't ask... change it. Good. So. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> Choice made. Uh, however, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, right? I mean, so last, you know, in the third episode we heard, you had to do a 12-year-old girl, mm-hmm. you know, and going back and forth and dialogue between a 12-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl. I mean, there's certain challenges. How do you, how do you approach trying to uh, present a character that's not something you would typically be cast for. Well, I use basically a technique called (laughs) (laughs) make-believe. No, it's, uh, you know, I've done a couple audiobooks, so it is, you know, uh, uh, a skill that, you know, you gotta differentiate between between voices. In the last couple episodes, uh, it's been much easier. This one, we have uh, people who are like two guys who are roughly the same age. It's hard to find nuances uh, between characters. I, I, I did uh, I did several takes on this one. Um, usually, of course, I just phone it in and just, you know, one take, <laughs> and it's usually pretty damn perfect. Uh, now, this him, one I had to... one take, Brando. That's right. I had to work on this one quite a bit. I haven't heard the final uh, mix yet, but I'm excited to, uh, to hear it. I, I trust that, that Scott has made me not sound like poop. I've actually got a question for you. I was talking to my wife in the car uh, the other day, and we were talking about the the dad scene um, of the last episode and the Godzilla dream sequence of the last uh, part of this this story. Um, The dad section is 
basically, and I wanted to get your take on this. Uh, from what we gathered, the dad section is about establishing that love is loss and giving some background into Kingston's relationships with women, right? Okay, so the Godzilla scene is, can you talk about that for a minute? What what you were trying to do with that dream yeah. sequence? There was a lot going on in our dream sequence. Um, okay. First off, uh, I, I'm basically making, do I really want to reveal every secret here? Uh, <laughs> because we, we're playing with a lot. Right, mm -hmm. we're playing with this. You know, as we talked about, the whole um, is he God? Is he not? Right, and the doubts therein. <clears throat> Him being Godzilla is this really direct metaphor. <laughs> Godzilla, his, yes, exactly, and of his of his perceived power. Right, and if you notice throughout, I keep calling out the fabrication uh -huh. of his Godzilla. Suit. It's a suit, yeah. And also the limitations of his power, mm -hmm. um, being Mothra, um, which is close in name, wasn't, isn't mm -hmm. she? Mothra? Yeah, like right. Mother, yeah. Like, yeah. Ew, uh, I mean, so there's a lot of, I don't want to give the whole damn game away. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it also just establishes to go hand in hand with the dad scene that women are kind of his downfall a little bit right i mean or 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 they're his kryptonite in a sense and um, he's, at the time he is trying to control that yes and fix and it, it. this is the thing that it's all about exerting control and there's i mean i'm trying to put a pretty strong feminist message out there about um right. Uh, you know, trying to control a relationship and trying to control women. Um, but again, that's giving some of the game away because we haven't yet gotten to episode five. It's definitely laying some groundwork uh, for the people we're about to meet right now. Um, without any objection, let's get to it. Anyone? We good? Uh, okay, let's go. Okay. All right, everybody. Here is Unless It's About Me, part four, Construction. By Ryan PD. I remember the way some of them resisted. I mean, it was adapt or be left behind. But still, they found themselves attached to their bodies and their beliefs. The more intelligent among them argued that we were more than our brains, that there's a mind-body connection and that to separate our intelligence from our physical form is to break what binds us to this world. And they were right. Others fought on religious grounds, because it doesn't really matter that they were right too, that there is a God, there is a soul. Each discovery science made was only made because he put it there to be discovered. Every question that they pose is answered. Every outward reach finds a limit. If it can be imagined, it will be discovered because he made it so by asking the question. Because I made it so. And now, through continued probing beyond the darkness, here was the secret to immortality. Here was their chance to join him on a cosmic scale. This was the rapture that they were waiting for. If only they'd try. I knew they wouldn't. 
is when you know the answers to everything, you stop looking for new ones. Kingston had an upset stomach. On the train, he, he could feel it. He'd felt it all day, brewing in his bowels. As he boarded a southbound red line, a series of acid burps burned his esophagus. It wasn't the Indian buffet for lunch, the half dozen cups of coffee at work, or last night's JMO and PBR combination that had set his colorectal oven to broil and sent spikes and flames shooting out of his ass with every fart. Kingston de Leon was ill because he made himself ill. Because he thought himself ill, because he, he imagined himself getting ill and believed himself ill, until all that made manifest in the churning of his gut. He had made an actual sickness in his stomach by worrying about it. Because that's the way Kingston works. He popped two tums anyway, fully aware that they would accomplish little, and chose a seat to the rear of the car, the one that's blocked off by a little wall that the drunks choose to piss behind so he could try a few breathing exercises away from the stares of fellow passengers. Sitting up straight, Kingston pressed thumbs to middle fingers, closed his eyes, and pulled through his nose a long, deep, piss-reeking breath. He snorted out the stench and pounded a fist into his thigh in frustration. It was useless. The breathing had never worked, would never work. When his body reached this state, no amount of tension release could repair it. Only time and a change of mind can fix it. Eventually, his thoughts and feelings will change, and they will manifest a new bodily state, just as real as his current predicament, but usually more comfortable. He knew that the more he struggled, the worse it became, because the more he thought about the problem, the more it grew, because the more he focused on his own discomfort, the more uncomfortable he became, because it occupied his mind more and more and more, and it would twist his insides up more and more and more until his stomach was distended and stretched out to the size of a hot air balloon that was so filled with flatulence of his own ill-thoughts creation that he could float home. Still, he had to do something. Tonight was Maddie's boss's retirement party. He couldn't show up sick, and he could not bail. He'd done that too much already. And things weren't going that well with her anyway. He needed to be on. He needed to be his most impressive self tonight. Or else... Well, he, he couldn't consider the consequences without making it worse. In fact, it was just the inkling of worry that triggered his sickness the night before. He was in bed, and he had just flipped his phone closed after telling Maddie, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, I'll remember to shave. Okay, good night. And then there was the thought. What if I fuck this up? What if she leaves me? Oh, what's it going to be this time? Diarrhea? He realized immediately it would be diarrhea. He tossed the consequences of his impending illness back and forth in his head until he knew that fighting this was worthless. He had to get out of bed. Had to get out of his house. A handshake and a half-hug to Chris, the bouncer in the Cubs stocking cap and reefer-smelling black zippered hoodie, gets Kingston in the door. A group of bike messengers have settled in his usual spot, the elbow of the bar before the wall-mounted TV. It's an old high sense, as low definition as the fading images on the back wall. Photos of regulars, a few framed shots of Jerry Garcia, and bumper stickers with dancing bears and skulls split into hemispheres of red and blue by a lightning bolt. Soundproofing ceiling tiles are stained a dingy yellow by ancient cigarette smoke. You know, folks didn't used to have to shiver outside to get a fix. 
Now, the only smoking in the place happens in the bathroom, where the heads of one-hitters are covertly ground into weed that's as sticky as the floor. And I guess sometimes people do blow back there, but only on DJ nights and improv nights. Slow nights, I guess. It's kind of a shithole when you look at it all at once like that. But the jukebox has ELO, so that helps, and the prices are good. And you know what? It's home, so fuck off, okay? Kingston pulls up a stool at the end of the bar opposite the bike messengers. As soon as he sits, Sam throws a coaster in front of him. Up, Blake K. Don't you have to lease your soul for eight hours tomorrow? I don't think the boss lady will like it if you smell like a brewery in the morning. Sam's long curls bob in his face as he chuckles. Fuck off, Sam. I can't sleep. Kingston doesn't want to start talking about Maddie and get to thinking about it again. It's the, I don't know, fucking elections got me all knotted up. Kingston points at the screen. Sam's been watching MSNBC exclusively since the primaries. Oh, yeah. Nah, don't worry about that, man. Sam winks his heavy eyelid. Looks like he's been losing sleep himself. Uh, That's all set up already. Obama's gonna win it, man. Unless he doesn't. Well, right, that's the worry, isn't it, that he won't? Oh, nah, dude, it's gonna happen. Or not, you know, whatever. Everything that's gonna happen is gonna happen, you know, just like everything that has ever happened was supposed to happen, because, yeah, that's how it is. How what is? Uh, What life, man? It's, It's all written, it's all done, you know? We can't write history. We don't have a hand in it, we're just part of it. Oh, my God, will you shut the fuck up with this? I already can't sleep, man. I don't need you adding your freaky religious shit to my nightly tossing and turning. Dude, I'm not saying anything religious, buddy. I'm I'm talking about the way things are. I'm, and I'm telling you this to help you sleep. This right here is what gives me rest every night. I'm not talking about God or an eternal struggle. Fuck that shit, okay? I'm talking about taking that out of the equation and just being... You know, just being as I have always been. Being as I will always be. I'm talking about, you know, like letting go of my own perception of will and just realizing that what I want means nothing if I can't actually affect the direction of my life takes in any given moment. Because I gotta eat, you know? Because if I don't, I die. I have no choice in the matter. And I'll never have a choice in the matter. I'm I'm a slave to my body because I'm a machine that needs fuel. And, you know, in this life... I only matter because I am matter. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cog in this cosmic machine, you know, and so are we all, you know? At this point, Kingston recognizes the sweet and sour sting of pot wafting through the air and that glaze in Sam's eyes. Uh, no, stoner, I don't see. I don't have a clue what you're fucking talking about. Do you? I mean, I have a will, Okay. I chose to come to the bar tonight. Ah, but you wouldn't be here if you couldn't sleep. I could have chosen any number of other scenarios. I could have taken a walk down the lakefront. I could have played guitar. Or I could have read for a few hours. I, I, I came to the bar to drink myself into a stupor. So do you think you could help me with that? Sam picks up a bar towel and absently dries a few beer mugs as he speaks. Yeah, yeah, you, you chose to come here, but... You know, you could have gotten hit by a car or struck by a meteorite on the way. And you know what? You are only choosing to come here because you can't sleep and you need to sleep because you have to go to work in the morning and you have to go to work and make money so that you can afford to eat and keep living because you are a fucking slave to your body. It's like 
we evolve these minds that are so advanced that we have managed to convince ourselves that we have this power to affect our singular existence in some meaningful way every day. But we really have just like the equivalent of the onboard computer of a Pontiac Bonneville, figuring out better ways to run the engine or apply the correct brake pressure, you know, flip a light on when the gas is low. Uh, I'm sorry, Sam. Are you, are you trying to blow my mind, you stoner? Because I'm pretty sober right now. I'm like really, really sober. So what's the holdup? Kingston taps his coaster on the bar. Ah, you are not listening. Sam throws the bar towel down in frustration and yanks the tap, pouring a heady mug of PBR. There, he says, slamming the mug down in front of Kingston. Drink that and shut the fuck up. Kingston happily complies as Sam continues. I I knew this guy, right? Gary. I still know him, kind of. I mean, like, I don't know him as well, but I know him, okay? He worked at this software company. It was a cushy job, great benefits, shit ton of vacation, you know, pay out the ass. The thing is, Gary went to school for six years. He got his master's in the information technologies, sciences, or, or whatever, computers. Shut up, okay? He got his fucking degree, and he's like some serious hot shit coming out of school, right? He's fucking brilliant. So he gets this job, right? And he is raking it in. But here's the rub. His job, after all that schooling, is to monitor this hulking beast of a, a file server, right? This thing, it sits in like a like a utility closet. There's wires and all shit coming out from all over the building, and they just pour into this whirring, rustling, gray metal box with corners so sharp that Gary had to get a tetanus shot during orientation. I shit you not. And still, as old as it is, the server doesn't need any maintenance. Like once a month, he'd have to run a diagnostic check and all was clean. So on a day-to-day basis, all Gary had to do was reset it every hour on the hour, which amounted to pushing one bright red, well-worn button just underneath the squeaky hinged metal flap. Wow, you really know a lot about this guy's life. Fuck you, Kay. Look, Gary's got a lot of time to talk now, okay? If you get me. See, this nutcase, right? He gets it in his head that he's a creative Right? He starts talking about how he hates his job because he's not actually making any sort of difference. You know, he's, not, he's not doing any real work. He says that he studied so hard so that he could create something new and something different, but now he just maintains this machine and, and it does the work. He'd sit right where you are, Kay, man, and, and he would start bitching about how he's like the IT equivalent of a, a, a drinking bird toy. You know, just peck and wait and peck and wait. And then after he would finish bitching, he'd down his $40 top-shelf scotch, and he'd take a $20 cab ride home to his three-bedroom, 25th-floor Lakeview suite on the fucking Gold Coast. But the dude was miserable because for eight hours of every weekday, he gets to do pretty much whatever he wants until, like, a minute to the hour when he's got to get up from his swivel chair and stretch and scratch himself and amble over to a closet and swing a folding door open and flip a flap and push a reset button in about, like, 30 seconds. Do the math, okay? That's, like, it's like four minutes of work a day. All right, the rest of the time he can do anything, and he did. He read novel after novel. He had, like, two blogs he'd update. And he was always the guy that knew everything about everything because he'd surf for the latest and greatest in web-wide worldly information. Kingston downs the last of his PBR. Okay, but what's the point? What does this have to do with me worrying about the election? 
Dude, the point is that he was always fucking miserable. You know, he thought that he should be doing more with his life. He thought that he should be, you know, making more with his skills than just pushing a button. You know, he thought he was meant for more than that. That he owed the world a debt for blessing him with all this talent and opportunity and that he needed to leave the world a better place than he found it and leave his mark and blah, 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 blah. And that, and that is just it, man. That is exactly it right there. This, this thought that we all get stuck on that we're, that we're meant for more. You know, there is some, like, destiny. There's some perfect vision of self that we're supposed to attain somehow and that there's always something better, something better, and there's something better, and it just cannot always be better, okay? Even if it can be better, there's, you know, usually not much that you can do to make it that way. So anyway, so Gary quits, you know? He starts this, like, internet news and fiction publication that he thinks is going to be hot shit. But, you know, like everything else on the internet, he can't figure out how to make any money with it. So he doesn't. And, you know, he's got to leave the Gold Coast. Ends up moving home with his parents in plain view. I I hear he plays a lot of EverQuest. As Sam trailed off, his slow eyes blinked hard and he shook his head leaving Kingston uncertain whether he lost his place in conversation or if he was having feelings. Kingston stayed silent as he watched Sam push back from the bar and pour himself a glass of water. Sam took a few sips and ran a hand down the side of his face, pressing a mode of stress away at his temple before continuing. Look, all I'm saying is that sometimes, you know, sometimes you just gotta be. And if you're not going to admit the fact that you don't have any choice or actual effect on the world, you can at least admit that you certainly have no effect on this election. You know, you're going to cast your vote in a couple weeks with hundreds of millions of other people, and that's all you're going to do. So what's the point of worrying yourself right out of bed? You know, what's the point of showing up to work the next day all tired and miserable? What will be, will be. We're not. And whatever. Anyway. That's that. You want another one? The way Kingston would tell it is like this. I met Chris Martin once at this half-empty bar outside the Ryman in Nashville back when I was really into Coldplay. So he gets up to leave, and he walks right past us. And I go, hey, Chris. And look, I'm not the kind of guy that gives a damn about celebrity, but when I looked him in the face... Like right into his big pretty eyes, I went blank. I couldn't say anything, you know? You want to talk about the the impact of his music and be all cool about it, but you can't. (laughs) All coolness is gone the second that he's in front of you. So I mumbled something stupid about like, great show and thank you. And I don't even, I don't remember because I basically blacked out and he, he was cool about it, but that's not the point. The point is, that's how it is with Maddie. You know, she is, she's like a celebrity that you meet out in the wild. She's this poster on your bedroom wall, but she's right in front of you. Only instead of one night standing there, wordless, breathless, apologetic, and stumbling over your nerd bar, it's every single night for our entire relationship. She told me once that she never felt pretty, and I laughed in her face. You know, we had a big fight over that one, but... The basic gist of her point is that guys don't hit on her, which I think seems insane, right? But think about it, you know? If you really think about it, I mean, of course not. 
I remember the first time I saw her, I was at this party. I think it was Jack's birthday. It was definitely at Jack's place. It was some, like, I don't know, sweaty college party. Red cups and musk. So I'm, I'm Superman drunk, right? Just bulletproof. She's sitting alone on a short plastic chair like you might find in a kindergarten classroom. She's got her legs crossed and tucked underneath it, sitting side saddle, basically. This stupid little chair that no childless adult should own, and she makes it look elegant. So I watched her for a while, and I saw guys walk toward her and turn away at the last second. I mean, they, they were looking, right? But nobody approached. So I get set for my bombing run. I swoop in low and slow, and then, nope, never mind, I'll just go get another beer. But she stops me. She says something like, is that Spoon? And points at my T-shirt. And we start talking about the shows we went to. And then, you know, not too long after that, I'm waking up next to this being, this entity. And I'm trying to figure out how the hell I pulled off this trick. And I mean, at this point in in our relationship, it's go time, right? It's like, you know, is this it? Are are we it? Do we make this a, a permanent arrangement or do we fuck off? And... And I have no idea what she wants, you know? All I've got are doubts. She's smarter than me. She is nicer than me. She would be a better parent. She makes more money than me, and she's always going to. And of course, she's way better looking than I am. I have no idea what I am doing here. I mean, she is she is so perfect. It's, it's, it's not human. I am not her equal. I'm just a fan. Sam pointed at Kingston's empty pint glass. Yeah, yeah, sure. And a J-Mo, two J-Mo's. Sam lines up the shots and pours one for himself. To democracy, they slam a shot together. Kingston sips his beer, shakes away one shot, throws back shot two. Oh, you're in a hurry, I see, Sam says. Anything other than the future of our great nation bugging you? <sighs> yeah, I mean, <sighs> yeah. Kingston rubs his face, squeezing the bridge of his nose, wipes his mouth. Yeah, I don't, Matilda's not happy. I don't know what to do about it. Dude, we can't do anything about it, I'm telling you. Well, I have to do something. Okay, she is perfect, man. She's she's good for me. She makes me a better man, and I'm I'm worried, you know? I'm starting to think like I don't know, like like I'm not enough. Well, dude, you have no real control over whether she's a part of your life or not. You know, she can leave you. She can die. She could have never been born, you know? She could have a sudden change in brain chemistry and be a completely different person one day from the next. You don't have any say in the matter. Kingston could feel the second shot start to warm him up. His words came slower. Yeah. But what if I do? I mean, what if you're wrong? What if I just go with the flow when I could do something about it, and I don't, and then I lose her? Well, brother, there's no guarantee that if you do anything that she stays. I mean, you know, make your choice, but just know it is not your choice. Oh, that is insane, man. Of course I have a choice. It's illusion, man. You're fooling yourself. Would you just shut the fuck up 
and listen to me, bitch, like a normal bartender for once. Would you, would you make that choice, please, of your own free will? I right, dude, I'm just trying to help. Well, you're not helping. Okay, you're just, you're pissing me off. They both look up at the TV for a minute. Sam turns it up. Could I have another shot, please? Yeah. The bike messengers look up at the TV, annoyed. They walk over to the jukebox, start scanning the selection. Kingston thinks they won't know anything in there. Maybe the, maybe the Bowie. Yeah, definitely the Bowie. Hey man, this one's on me. Kingston throws it back, looks at the TV again. Look, man, I, I don't, I don't mean to dismiss what you're trying to say to me. I just, I don't think it applies here. Okay, to this situation. To me. Alright. It's a universal sentiment, Kay. Bowie's the man who sold the world drowns out the broadcast. Sam mutes the TV. No, not in my universe. Okay? In here, Kingston points to his head. And out here, Kingston gestures to the bar. It matters what I do. Okay? In fact, that's all that matters. Sam pours Kingston one more shot. All right, whatever helps you sleep at night. Yeah, it doesn't. The new construction was on Diversity, just west of Halstead on the southern side of the street across from Penny's Noodles. Kingston passed it every time he walked to the number eight bus from the bar. Construction sites always took his attention. Even as a small boy, he would climb the hills of excavated dirt in the ever-growing subdivision behind his best friend's house. They'd get tools and dig into the hills looking for buried treasure they knew damn well wasn't there. He'd get tired, look over the plots of land. Kingston would imagine the new homes going there, but his imagination was limited. Each home would look exactly like his friend's home, bringing new kids roughly their age to play the same games they all played. Because that was what Kingston liked. That was all that Kingston knew. But this new construction had been more than just excavated. There was framework that had sprung up. Steel and brick were stacked three stories high. Still, he couldn't immediately tell what it was. The first floor was hidden behind a a chain-link fence with a green privacy tarp behind it. Here it could be almost anything. The zoning on the street this busy was pretty flexible if you helped get the right alderman elected. Could be a mixed-use commercial residential or commercial office, some kind of storefront on the first floor. Probably something unexciting. A lawyer, an accountant, nail salon. Could be three floors of luxury apartments. I mean, they'd have to be luxury. The lot was deep. This could be anything back there, man. It's like a flipping, like a, a Oprah Winfrey, like, mansion. Kingston climbed to the top of the chain link easily, but he landed poorly after his jeans caught on the galvanized wire. If his limbs weren't liquid, he'd have been more seriously hurt. Instead, he only scraped his hand on the jagged gravel when he reached out to slow himself. He cussed and muttered something about tetanus before picking himself up and dusting his jeans. Though behind the relative cover of the green tarp, Kingston still worried that somebody might hear him or see him from the street, empty as it was at 3 a.m., He considered walking up to the front door and letting himself in, but he remembered that somebody told him at some point that they put alarms on these places as soon as they've got wiring to keep people from wandering in or 
seeking shelter. Seems kind of mean, really. Though he assumes they could cause damage, I guess, or steal that very wiring out of the walls. Copper is expensive, he told himself as he walked around the back of the building. Now having fully seen the front and the side of the building, he could tell that it would be luxury apartments. Bottom unit with a basement floor, top with a rooftop deck. Rich fuckers. He found the framework of two two two-car garages and space for a little more parking behind that before the lot hit the alley. It was a really deep lot. It's a place for your fucking Benzes, you fucking rich fuckers. It was time to climb again. Kingston found easy foothold in the incomplete brickwork of the garage. Once on top, he nearly walked right through the open back wall, but he stopped short, reminding himself that there might be motion detectors. He whistled low and stepped back a bit, crouched and held his hands up, open palms to the non-existent wall. Oh, don't, don't mean no harm. Kingston pulled out his keys and he shone his keyring flashlight into the empty home. He saw a long hall, maybe three, four bedrooms, fireplace in the front room. Must be the kitchen that's closest to him. No implements yet, but he could tell by the shape. It's a million dollars easy. He paused to imagine life there. He saw Maddie in a sundress, watering flowers on the back deck while he grills burgers on the gas grill. There are kids, of course, sitting quietly at the table beneath the beach umbrella, reading. As he watches them, it gets colder. The wind brings pellets of ice sideways into their faces. The children pick up their books and run inside while Kingston and Maddie cover their faces and grab the burgers off the grill. Kingston ignores his concern about motion detectors and follows the kids through the wall and into the unfinished kitchen, away from the sleet. It's bullshit anyway, the weather, the whole thing. He looks again and there's Maddie at the kitchen table late at night, tired and stressed, her eyes straining in the dark. Over his shoulder, he can hear himself come in through the front door, remove his shoes as quietly as he can and pad into the kitchen, right where he's standing now, hiding from the sleep. You have to call, she says, directly to Kingston. Kingston urges himself upright, balanced. Yeah, no, I was gonna, but... Your phone died. No, I know. I tried you. Yeah, I was, uh, I was working on a text when it died. You know, it's old. It'll go from, like, 20 to dead and, like, Yeah, I do know that. I know that. But I would have charged it before I went out. Okay, these are things that I think of, Kingston. These are things that normal people think of. It's such a, such a Kingston thing to not do. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I just, if I would have thought, but you didn't. Because you don't think of those things. Because you have to consider other people before yourself. And you don't know how to do that. Uh, all right. Look, I can I can tell that you're upset. And look, can we talk about this tomorrow? Because I'm drunk and, and you're not really here. And You know, let's talk about this. No. He mutters at the empty spot on the eat-in kitchen floor. No, let's not do I'm. Man, there's got to be a better one than this. Kingston now imagines Maddie leaning against the table, legs crossed. 
She's wearing a gray pencil skirt, black tights, and a white blouse. This kitchen is dirty. She pulls herself up on the table and unbuttons the top button of her blouse. But it can always get a little dirtier. Kingston steps closer to the missing back wall, sleet crunching under his feet. He's almost to her when her phone rings. She holds up one finger to his face. At work, hang on. Mrs. Maddie. Oh, hi, Glenn. Good to hear from you. Yes. <laughs> and you too. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, that is my understanding. At least that, well, that's where we left it last week. Okay, let me check something. I'm so sorry. She mouths to Kingston as she walks out of the room. Fuck! Give me a break! His shouts echo off the concrete. But he knows. He can't imagine their life here because he doesn't belong here. She does. But not to him. Outside, the sleet slowed a little. Kingston clutched his stomach as it rolled over. He burped, popped a couple tums, and decided to pick up some mineral water at 7-Eleven on the way home. I am doing everything I can, I promise you, and I want to be there tonight, but I'm, I'm in a state here, Maddie. Kingston could hear Matilda pace outside the bathroom door, her heels clicking the hardwood. Tonight of all nights, Kingston, do you, do you have any idea what Gerald meant to me? He was my mentor. He was my... No, I know. I'm, I know. I'm sorry, babe. You're sorry. Why is it that it seems like your stomach is upset when I need you for something, Kingston? I, I don't know. It's stress. Stress? Really? You want, you want me to talk about stress? Okay, you don't know stress. I, I know. You're right. Uh, of course you're right. Look, it's just sometimes I start thinking about how I might fuck things up and then I fixate on it and then... You know, the feeling moves to my gut, and then the next thing you know... Oh, that is bullshit, Kingston, and you know it. Don't blame anything but yourself. I mean, you don't even try to be well. Let me ask you something. Did, did you go out drinking last night? Kingston didn't respond. Right. Exactly. You don't think maybe the booze has anything to do with this? No. Look, I was already messed up about it, Maddie. I just went there to chill out. You went there to chill out. You, you go to a, a bar and you stay there until closing because that's what you do. And then you wonder why you're fucked up the next day. I needed you there tonight, Kingston. This is an emotional night for me. Everybody is expecting you there. And it reflects poorly on me to show up alone when I RSVP'd for two and then have to avoid explaining that my boyfriend drank too much and he can't get out of the bathroom. Babe, it has nothing to do with the drinking. Why could you have not thought about this last night? Why, why not just take a breath before you take that shot and think about something other than yourself? Maddie, what do you want from me? Look, I'm sick, okay? I can't help it. I want you to get your shit together, clean yourself up, put on a shirt and tie, and go to this event with me. A flame shot through Kingston. Oh, God. Maddie, I don't... Maybe I just don't think that's happening. Maddie leaned against the door and lowered her voice. <sighs> Kingston... Kingston, I need this from you, okay? I need you to be this for me, all right? I need you to be the guy who will show up for things like this. Okay, I don't want to be alone tonight, okay? I'm going to cry, and probably a lot. I mean, Gerald has given a speech for Christ's sake, and then he's going to hug me after, and he'll say something fatherly or 
some sage advice or whatever, and I'll be hurting tonight, okay? I'm hurting right now, and I need my significant other to be there to hold my hand or squeeze my knee in acknowledgement, just to tell me that you know that I am having feelings, but that you're there. And when I have to excuse myself, you'll know to follow me and we'll find some quiet place outside where nobody's watching so you can look me in the eye and you can smile at me and you can make me laugh and you can maybe kiss me and make sure that no one is looking. And I need that from you, but I won't have it because you've got the shits. I need that memory so that the next time that you miss some important moment in my life because you drank yourself sick, I can bank on that and I can forgive you. But right now, I am searching for that memory. The one that I have of you being there for me in a big way at exactly the moment I need you to be. And I am coming up empty-handed. So please, please, please just try. Kingston stands up. Fiery tingles rushing through his abdomen. He looks at the spiral churn in the toilet. Specks of stars and planets turning in an odorous galaxy that he flushes away and forgets. He throws water on his pale face. And then he remembers last night. He remembers the empty house. He remembers that it wasn't theirs, and it could never be. I'm not gonna make it, Maddie. Not tonight. Kingston, I'm serious. If you don't come tonight, I don't think I can keep doing this. I know. Okay, so that's it. So you're not going to do anything about this? No. It's already done. Unless It's About Me, Part 4, Construction, by Ryan P. Duke. Reading Out Loud is produced by Ryan P. Duke, Scott Miner, and myself. Our sound designer is Scott Miner at Lucky Dog Audio Post. Our editors are Gwen Fulcher and James Tania. Our editorial consultant is Simon A. Smith. Our social media manager is Gwen Fulcher. And our reader in residence is Eleni Papa George. This episode is sponsored in part by pledges from Randall Anderson, Pat Duke, and Will Mitchke through Patreon.com. If you enjoy the show, please visit patreon.com slash reading out loud and pledge your support. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash reading out loud. Also, be sure to check out our website, readingoutloud.org, for more information about the show and to listen to past episodes. While you're there, follow the links to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Team ROL. Next week, we will be back with a story that has been a long time in the making, Blind Spot by Robert Duffer. We are really excited to finally be able to release this one into the wild, and I know you're going to enjoy it as much as we do. Until then, for all of us at Reading Out Loud, I'm Brandon Paul Eels. Thanks for listening.